Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radio qualified oncology podcast. Welcome to a bonus episode for our podiatry special. My name is Namajo Anderson and I'm joined by fellow host Jay McNamara. So we're very pleased to introduce our guest, Afni Shah Hamilton, who will be discussing her role as a podiatrist. Hi Afni, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. So, I'm sure everyone's been wondering why we've been posting lots of interesting photos across social media last week. Can you tell us why you like feet so much and how you got into a career as podiatry? So, well, I'm quite passionate about feet. So anyone who like speaks to me is uh, like, yeah, your feet carry you everywhere, basically, don't they? So... You use them every day and we all just take them for granted. So everyone looks at their teeth and is always obsessed about like your teeth and face. But actually, you can replace bits of that, but you can't replace your feet. So that's one of the first things. Um, and how I got into it? Well, so I have a specialist interest in wound care. Um, so early in my career, specialised in wound care, um, even at university, really interested in it. We got to see leprosy patients, so that was really cool. Um and then from there, I was working for Southwark, which um, had a conjunction with Guys and Kings Hospital. So again, lots of wound care stuff. And set my own private practice, Tiptoe Foot Care then as well. And then started getting vascular referrals in for vascular ischemic ulcers. So where there's poor blood flow, not healing. And again, they see a lot of diabetic patients. So that natural course of wound care, not actually getting the right treatment and things weren't healing. So then they basically would send their patients on to me. And they went and spoke to their oncology team and the oncologist started referring in patients. And from there, started off really small, starting to see really random oncology symptoms of nails and skin conditions and then just built on there. And so that's how I ended up my passion in the effects of cancer on the, in podiatry. And so I've been bashing my head a little bit against the wall, like raising the awareness that actually this is a super important issue because... As you can see, there is a wealth of knowledge um, and, you know, I now sit and advise for Macmillan and a number of other things as well. So, I'm, you know, I speak for the Institute of Properties and Dietrich on it as well, and cancer effects. And so, yeah, it's just built from then and also with that comes complex pain issues as well. And so with my uh, musculoskeletal knowledge as well, again, built with that and then done a lot more other therapies to actually complement what I do in my clinic so my clinic is pain management but also cancer focused as well and that's how I kind of came about with it but yeah I am very passionate that patients should not need to suffer in silence and shouldn't be ignored and being given wrong advice because there's no excuse for it. Afni can you tell us a little bit about kind of podiatry as a whole yeah. like do you have to specialize in a particular area do you study all pathologies relating to podiatry so um podiatry is now a university degree so you go to university and you do it um and also everyone gets confused with chiropody and podiatry they're exactly the same um so previously it was known as chiropody and now more internationally, it's known as podiatry, and it's, again, we've adopted it now as podiatry. So now if you go to university, you get a degree in podiatric medicine. So in your course, you basically learn the vascular system, neurology, pharmacology, um, all the specialist knowledge with the feet as well, but also all the, all the systems of the body as well. So, you know, you have to know your anatomy and physiology as well, but also much more um, intricate. So I know it sounds awful, and I keep uh, comparing it to, like, of dentistry it's basically you're learning the whole systems like you do in dentistry and then you have your specialist clinics like in dentistry same thing specialist clinics in podiatry um so there's 
I've kind of split it into three main areas that we kind of look at. So, and even then you can split it further. But you've got your musculoskeletal side of things. So looking at your walking patterns, insoles, foot pain, sports injuries, all that you can go into. You've got your derm side, so dermatology, which is your skin and nails, all the things that react with that. Wound care is particularly prevalent in those patients, um, particularly ulcerations. And then you've got your vascular side, which again, circulation issues and neurology side, which is your nerve sensation. So again, we're always testing for, um, in terms of neurology, early detection of changes to the, you know, your sensation. So your light touch, your vibration, hot and cold, pain. Um, also, you're looking out for some of the autonomic um, symptoms, which are rare, but particularly as we know for cancer patients, that actually can be more of a risk um, than other conditions. And then in terms of the vascular, again, we use things like the droplet ultrasound. So you're looking at the, listening to the blood vessels and quality of the blood vessels, how much flow is going there. You're looking at the venous returns. You're looking at um, the lymphatics, again, the edemas, because that has an indication of high blood pressure issues or the blood pressure is not being monitored correctly. Or again, these irregular heartbeats, there's an irregular pulse beat in the foot. There's going to be something going on cardiac-wise uh, cardiac as well. So that's kind of what the broad sense of podiatry is. But basically, it's any conditions from the lower limb, you know? So anything that comes in, we can see and treat. Um, so that's kind of what it was. And so, yeah, you can specialise in different areas. So some specialise with diabetes, some specialise in rheumatology, vascular. But that's kind of where it is. But cancer hasn't really been talked about or even considered, even at university levels. There's a lot of talk about diagnosing moles, which is great. And like in my clinic in the last month or so, I've already diagnosed three potential cancer um, carcinomas and things. But actually, that's a very small part of the cancer pathways. So, When you qualify then, how do you build up your confidence in certain areas? Do you work in hospitals, clinics, private? Yeah, so you can either go straight into private or you can work in hospitals or in NHS community settings. So, sadly, I think with the NHS the way it is, there's probably less specialty settings to be able to go into compared to when I graduated, which was, yeah, just over 18 years ago now. Um, so when I graduated, there was a lot more in-house hospitals and things that you could go into, whereas now it is a lot of it's in communities. But again, podiatry has been one of the ones that's been cut a lot across the NHS. Um, so that is a bit unfortunate. But you can go straight into private practice. So in my in my case, I had an interest in wound care. But actually, even though, yes, I did quite a few clinics in the NHS, I actually specialised and got really into wound care from my private practice side, and that's what I was seeing. And also mentoring is really important. So going out and um, getting mentorships with people and speaking to people and advocating. I'm really lucky. I've got a really good set of mentors that I can liaise with and talk to. But I think that is also key, particularly now in the, the healthcare world that is changing in, and also what settings you're gonna be in. Um, and a lot of podiatrists will do a mixture of NHS and private practice. Um, and you've got a wide range, so you've got the generalists as well who will just see everything, but not specialise in particular areas. And then you've got, like myself, who specialises in a few areas, so, yeah. Um, so I do a lot of running and I have runner's toes, which are gross. What do I do? How do I get support Right. so that I can wear flip-flops and my wife doesn't <laughs> shout disgusting things at me? That's a really easy one, actually. To be honest, in the nicest way, you're not going to be eligible on the NHS criteria to see a podiatrist on the NHS. To be honest, um, 
pretty much if you're diabetic and your toe's falling off, you're probably going to be able to see the podiatrist. But you can just self-refer straight into a podiatrist um, privately. What I do recommend is that you um, see someone who's on the HCPC register. So you can either Google onto the HCPC register, check that they're okay. Also, the Institute of Crocodiles and Podiatrists and the Royal College of Podiatry both have listings of podiatrists on there. So again, that's a nice, easy way for people to go. Again, you've got Google. Look at the reviews. Um, and also, what I say to my patients is, um, particularly if you're looking for particular areas, ring up the practice and say, look, I've got this. Is it something you see? Is it not? Because again, you might see it's like a hairdresser, you know, some might be specialising with like curly hair and some, so asking, do you specialise with this? So, now, I mean, if you came to my clinic, we'd be yes, because we do the musculoskeletal side. So we'd also not just be looking at the, 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 the nail issues that are going on, the hard skin issues and the, that, but we'd also be looking at your gait and making sure that you're actually moving correctly so that when you are running, you're not putting that same impact on your nails. In terms of the conservative treatment, we're treating the nails, all the issues that come with the nails, minimising that area as well and giving you some advice on it as well. So we're treating actually, so runners often get the nails lifting, getting blistering under the nails and the nails start to become deformed and quite thick, which then increases more pressure in the shoe, which then creates that cycle of pressure and more deformity. So we'd be looking at that. But also footwear is a really important area. So there's lots of myths about footwear. Again, podiatrists are fantastic at that. We know so much about footwear. And so in my clinic, what I'll be looking at is in terms of looking at the sole of the shoe. What is the shape? So often a lot of the runner shoes are actually known as what's on a curved last. So the sole starts to curl in a bit like a banana shape. But actually that's not great for runners um, because you actually need the shock absorption. So all these um, shoes that are saying anti-pronatory, well actually the pronatory mechanism is the bit that helps you absorb the shock so it doesn't go into the knees and hips. So actually, so there's a lot to it, but also your shape of foot as well, so you might not be um, able to wear a particular type of shoe. So there's lots of materials used and everything, so someone need, may need more rigid sole, someone may need more a softer sole. So it really does depend, and so we look at all of that. So, But yeah, the easiest way is self-referral in. So Afni, what are the typical things that oncology patients experience? Right, so there's two areas. So let's go for the chemotherapy area first. Um, so you've got the dermatology side. So you've got the hand, foot um, and skin reactions, which can cause these really painful areas of hard skin on the foot. And it can be really painful because um, even the slightest touch to it, just trying to put your shoes on, it's just agony. And they all ulcerate really quickly. Um, and also because we know like 50% of patients, cancer patients are typically diabetic as well. So they already are in that category where skin integrity can be an issue. So that's one of the other ones. And the other one is hand-foot syndrome, where you suddenly get these rashes on the skin. So the skin can turn, normally about day four after a cycle, it literally gets stained either bright red. So you've seen the pictures on the postings on Caucasian skin, but Afro-Caribbean and Asian skin, it's actually a much more purplish color. But again, it can create blistering and fissuring. And these fissures just kind of split. So it's not like loads of hard skin, it just splits. And so you can imagine like you've got like massive paper cuts and you're walking on paper cuts, but all the way across your foot. So that's one of the skin things. And again, the other thing is nail toxicities. Um, nail toxicities are really important. They also happen in radiotherapy as well, but particularly in chemotherapy and a number of drugs actually cause nail toxicities. And the nail starts to lift and as it lifts, it ulcerates. And these ulcerations, again, 
Patients get given the wrong type of antibiotics for the ulceration, so they're not actually being swabbed properly and not actually looking at the clinical signs of what that the wound looks like. So for a Staphylococcus aureus infection, actually you can tell there's different smells, it looks different, the different colour exudate, whereas a pseudomonas, which can be actually much more common in these patients, which is anaerobic um, uh, bacteria, it gives you these blue-green and it's, it's a different type of smell and it, it reacts differently and again, different antibiotic dressings. Um, treat it differently. Well, it's not antibiotic, antibacterial dressing, should I say. Um, but particularly for nail conditions, again, you've got that lifting, but it's not just on the um, toes, on the fingernails. So you can imagine it lifting suddenly. It can be really painful just even to grip things with because it's that constant, like a loose nail being pulled like a, um, on the area. And then you've got the ulcerations. You've also got the delayed effects of the nails getting distorted as well, so they can become thickened. Um, and they can also become um, have fungal nail infections again because your immune system's down. We've got natural skin fungus on our bodies. The thing is, they're opportunistic infections. So when your immune system goes down, they take hold and they infiltrate into the nail plate and start to distort it. So you've got the long-term effects of like thickened nails and um, the fungal infections that come with, but then also the acute side of things. So that immediate effects that happen are the the ulcerations um, and yeah, wounds and just basically nails just coming away. So you've got that. Um, in terms of the radiotherapy, again, you've got the skin conditions, the abnormal dry skin that people talk about and the nails. And then we've got the neurology side. So both can cause induced neuropathies and there's loads of literature around it. It's actually even less literature on the, in terms of what and I've been researching about it, um, the radiotherapy side, but it is more talk about the chemotherapy. Even then, it's still not exposed to actually the levels of what, you know, it's quite debilitating. It's that burning sensation conditions on the foot, that light touch, so again, your foot changes can happen, so, because you can't feel, your foot starts to alter around it, you can get more damage to the area, again, patients often find when they've got sensation issues, some can't feel their shoe on their, on their foot, so they start to go for a tighter sole, whereas when you've got, like, the dermatology issues, you're going for a much more looser thing, but then you've got slipping going on, you're getting damage elsewhere, so the two can have an interesting uh, uh, situation goes on with them. So you've got the neurology, then you've got the musculoskeletal, which I don't think gets talked about at all. So regardless of whether you've got neuropathy or a dermatology issue, it can cause pain. That alters the way you walk. You know that if you stubbed your toe, or like no man who's gone running has hurt his toe, you're going to start to walk differently, right? You start to limp, and after a few weeks, other things start to get achy. So your knee starts to get achy, or your hip starts to get achy, you get back pain. And these are things that people don't link up to. Actually, if your feet aren't happy, the rest of you starts to fall apart as well. And so this is where I think people don't look at, you know, when patients are getting these complex pain issues, well, why? Well, actually, if they can't actually put their feet down on the ground, how can you expect them to go through a gait cycle where the joints should be taken away correctly and the pressure points being? How is that going to work? You've also got the other thing that no one really talks about is scar tissue contractures. So any of the abdominal surgeries, head and neck surgery, again, mobility issues, you can't bend, you can't move side to side. Again, can you see how when you're walking, you can't uh, distribute your weight from one foot to the other? And no one really talks about this, but particularly the pelvic one. So your pelvic has to tilt for most of your gait cycle in a posterior tilt, so it has to tilt backwards. If it doesn't, your feet start to flatten off more, and so you're putting pressure more on the insides of your knees and the feet, and again, you're getting these joint pain issues. So... There's a few things, so musculoskeletal, which really doesn't get talked about. Um, you get a little bit of exposure with the dermatology in terms of chemotherapy, but neurology as well. Again, patients are just told to live with it, and actually there's lots you can do around it, you know, 
So very complicated, lots of aspects of it. I suppose I'm going to have to ask the question that I'm sure people are thinking is why doesn't every cancer patient have access to this? That is a really good question, Nan. I don't know why. Um, I also, it's not just cancer patients, it's rheumatology patients. All these patients who get similar kind of, um, so one of the cancer drugs is methotrexate, right? That's used for rheumatology patients. They get the same side effects, exactly the same, skin effects, nail effects. Why is it not exposed? Diabetes seems to have a really good um, exposure to um, podiatry. But again, also it's to do with commissioning of services. I don't think people realise what podiatry does or the value of it. Or sometimes it gets fobbed off as, I mean, there is a hierarchy. So anything to do with healthcare in terms of the head and upper body seems to get a lot more spending cap to it than anything below. And people just get on with it, don't they? So, and also, you know, slightly negative. My professions don't talk about it. We don't promote it as, as well as other professions. It's not talked about from school leavers age, but you know, you'll, you'll see the school dentist or the school optometrist but they don't do any foot, foot checks. Even at the, like, when babies are being checked, there's no actual screening guidelines, even about giving advice about footwear. So it's a really poor topic, and I don't know why, because actually other countries, you look at Australia and America, it's a really common place to have podiatry. It's a really valued service. And I think some of that is also due to, um, sadly, private insurances actually know the cost it makes to the economy if your your person at work can't work because they can't move around on their feet it's a huge economic difference and so again sadly money talks doesn't it and we don't live in that society where everything's free at the point of delivery which is great but i think we don't then take the optics of actually if you can't move what does that have on the welfare of the state and the impact it has on that what advice would you give to I'm thinking clinical nurse specialists therapeutic radiographers who are maybe coming into contact with oncology patients more frequently what what can we do to almost promote podiatrists but also help and support our patients to recognize when maybe they do need that referral or that intervention so one of the easiest ways is I've lo wrote loads of literature, so just go on my website um, for, in terms of clinically, they can read exactly what podiatry does, what kind of conditions, it gives you a bit of a kind of overview. I've made it so that anyone can read it, whether you're a podiatrist or other clinicians, um, because it gives you an idea of what you're looking for. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing. In terms of the second thing is actually saying, even if you don't see someone like myself who's a cancer specialist, getting them to see a podiatrist is crucial. Because even if they've got nothing else, they can do baseline checks of vascular, they can do basic checks of neurology, so they can keep an eye on it. So things, if things are changing, while they might not be able to cope with that change, they can flag it up to oncology to need to alter drugs or whatever it is, or you know, be put into the right system. So that's, a fair, the, that's one of the things. Um, and in terms of just actually telling patients actually this it is this is one of the side effects because again that's also patients get worried is this a side effect of the treatment is there another cancer complication is this another form of cancer especially when you look at ulcerations under the nail because it granulates and it becomes like it looks like a slightly like a raised tumor type site um because it is proliferation of cells so technically it is um but it's not a cancer but that can actually be quite scary for a patient so actually reassuring 
don't don't this is to do with the drugs don't worry see a podiatrist because even if you're not seeing someone like myself even if they're able to deal with some of the basic wound care that makes a huge difference for that patient just getting them to be able to move um so that's what i would recommend and also i suppose particularly just reading around the subject um so if you do see something you know you can read around it um so just again my articles there is and I wrote stuff for Macmillan on their learning hub as well. So there is stuff out there. Um, and it's not like you have to become an expert in it. Just have the awareness that there are skin conditions. The basics are, yes, you get skin issues, you get nail issues. That can affect your walking and you get neurology issues. But see someone about it. See the, the podiatrist, even if it's in private practice. Or, yeah, that's where I would work with. Obviously, with all the social media posts we did last week, um, there were quite a few comments and people reaching out to you. I think one yes. of them was around what people can do prior to going for chemotherapy. Like obviously it's going to be quite complicated for you to make an assessment, but what are some of the things that they should be considering? So um, one of the things to consider is making sure you, your skin is in its best possible condition. So making sure it stays hydrated. That's the first thing you could do. The other thing is, is so my pain management role, which is, you know, not so much podiatry, but actually what I do find is the role of B vitamins, actually making sure you're getting the right nutrition, um, particularly in B vitamins. So what I've seen in a few papers is actually patients don't get tested for anemias like pernicious anemia, which is B12, um, before they start treatment, and then they then they have the treatment, and then their B12 is plummeted. And again, that will cause neuropathy issues. But actually another one that um, people don't get checked is B6 and B5. So B6 um, helps in nausea. So while that doesn't seem like it would affect us, but actually if you're nausea, if you're feeling nauseous, you're not going to eat properly. If you're not eating the right amount of proteins, you're not able to feed the body and actually help the body heal. So again, also protein has a huge impact in terms of helping absorb other vitamins as well. So again, making sure diet-wise you're eating to the best possible ability before you start your chemo. When you Before you also start is also to see a podiatrist, get your nails checked because you might have you might have already be suffering from, say, the runner's toe, the ingrown toenails, or hard skin issues. Getting that sorted before you get onto that chemotherapy cycle will help. And again, footwear, right? Making sure you're on the right the right type of footwear, um, and not being told by people like when you are in foot pain, just wear flip flops. It's not going to help. I should be banned but... just from a style perspective. <laughs> Does that mean that people shouldn't wear Crocs either? Crocs are fine for a little while, but not for all the time use <laughs> <laughs> i think so especially with the socks yes. or when <laughs> people wear socks together. and socks and sliders so that's yeah. so that's a professional if anyone's listening socks and sliders yeah. no no and also so exact perfect example sliders right the first thing you start to do is grip your toes right so if you're gripping your toes um if you're on chemotherapy the chemotherapy drug starts to leach out from your skin um, and so if you're getting areas of higher friction such as those toe areas you can imagine that chemotherapy drug starts to leach out on there it's going to create a toxin reaction on the skin there so you are going to get sore feet just on terms of the toes it's a simple you wouldn't realize the footwear link but actually huge import, impact on those chemotherapy patients so no wearing to the sliders wear something with some kind of ankle support so if you want to go for the hiking sandal you know with a strap across the front and the ankle when it's summer absolutely that's fine just nothing that causes that slipping friction motion because again that rubbing is going to irritate your skin especially when your skin is more fragile 
Anaphne, in terms of kind of supporting um, patients from a rehabilitation perspective, so I'm thinking there's lots of patients now who may never yeah. have considered anything to do with their feet or their hands or, you know, from a dermatology perspective as a, a long-term side effect of, of cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. What what should we be advising patients? Is it to get in touch with podiatrists if they've got any long-lasting side effects? Get in touch with podiatry, get those nails under control because, again, that long-term effect, you know, we're talking about the fungal nails um, and the thickened toenails. Well, you don't think that's going to be, that's fine to manage when you're in your 40s, 50s. Once you start getting into your 70s, 80s, actually that's really hard to even get down to your feet to cut your toenails. You know, around about 50, 60, that's when, you know, people have had back issues, all sorts of happen, start to happen. But also that's when your vascular system starts to, you know, slow down, degenerate. So you're, you're ready, once you've got those thickened nails, there's not as much we can do, whereas actually getting it more, even though it's later effects, and you may have had, it's get it as soon as you can. Does that make sense? So getting that dermatology looked at. Also, I mean, sometimes patients think like you need to see us weekly. It's not like physio or seeing the osteopath or chiropractor. You're not seeing us weekly. You know, you might have to see me six weeks initially, every six weeks, you know, just to get it under control. But then afterwards, you're seeing me um, two to three months' time. And some of my patients, it's six monthly, and some of mine are um, yearly, right? So we do an MOT check, like you do for your teeth. In my clinic, I'm very much an advocate because when I'm doing that check, I'm checking for moles. Are they looking cancerous? Are they looking different? Looking for skin conditions? Are they changing? What's going with your circulation? What's going on with the nails? What's going on with your walk? You know, you might have had a sprain in between. That's actually caused a joint restriction. Right, okay, let's have a quick look at that and make sure that's, you know, keeping you moving. You do a lot more than I ever stereotypically assumed a podiatrist will do. Hence why this is going to be so valuable to anyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> And also, I mean, some of the, the pain management side in terms of the walking issues, that is very much a very complex pain management um, thing. And I use adaptive polarity and anatomy and motion and kinesiology and muscle testing. I know we've sent some, you know, you'll see in the pictures as well what I've been doing in terms of our, like, postings. But in terms of podiatry, it's still so broad um, in terms of the skin, the nails, the, the, there are so many conditions. And again, cancer affects patients who... It's never just cancer is their only condition. They will have other conditions plus cancer. And I think people forget it's the other conditions that have a much more knock-on impact as well as the cancer treatment. So that patient may have arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis. You know, you've got rheumatology issues. They might have diabetes. They might have connective tissue disorders or hypermobility issues. You know, it's not just the cancer. It's cancer plus all the other conditions. That That's why it has such an impact i think on patients Afni, you mentioned about different like conditions mm. so i think as I, if anyone knows me quite interested in skin tone differences and stuff mm -hmm. i know this is something you've actually been talking about for quite a while and yeah. now dermatology is catching up but yeah what are some of the differences in i know we showed a few pictures last week but how would you describe the differences of some of the reactions across skin tones? Yeah, so um, so one of the ones I've noticed, particularly in my personal um, side of things, is cassitabine, um, used for breast cancer patients a lot. Uh, what I find personally is the Afro-Caribbean and the Asian population particularly get um, much more severe effects and much more quickly into their cycles. So 
often the Caucasian skin cycles, it tends to be cycle four or five, and it's not really talked about. Even when I've looked at literature, it's not really mentioned about the kind of the skin tones. So that's one thing. So they get a much more uh, severe reaction, but much more quickly. And I don't know whether it's genetically, we're not able to process the same kind of levels in our livers or kidneys. You know, I know in like the Aboriginal uh, cultures, alcohol is not able to be processed as easily. So they get much more toxic type reactions there but it's never really talked about so again the skin condition as you saw in the pictures it looks completely different that that everyone says oh clinically it's that bright red like as if your skin's been painted stained red well that that asian skin tone didn't look like it was going to be painted red it, it's much more like as if it's been stained in a bluish ink right a blue purple ink so that's one thing nails nails look slightly different on um our asian tone so what we see is like our nails are much more, um, they have a slight blue undertone in the nails compared to Caucasian skin as well. So again, what might start people going, oh, that's looking a bit more bluish in the Caucasian skin. Actually, that's actually looking more sinister in a in Asian skin. So again, not really documented, but I think my level of experience in this area is what allows me to do it. But also the other thing that we're going to talk about, keloid scars right? Keloid scars have a huge impact and you know you see it in radiotherapy, right? And um, the scar contracture around a keloid scar is far greater um, in terms of the joint movement. And remember I was saying about that joint movement, if you're getting a so I think my post that's come out, is it today on the, the MSK ones? Um, and I show you the person, the little uh, mannequin with the scar contracture on their shoulder. Imagine if that's a Asian or Afro-Caribbean, they get a much more keloid scar. Can you see how that contractor is far deeper? So again, that's going to even reduce the mobility on that shoulder level. That's going to put much more impact on the hip. So again, and again, same thing with the pelvic issues and the keloid scars around there, or even like leg stuff as well. Um, so there's that, you know, this, this kind of ethnic minority, actually there's a lot more impact on them and also, I don't know, because you can never tell on when the, this, there's these drug studies that are done, it never really talks about the makeup, the genetic makeup of these patients. Like, how many were Caucasian, how many were Asian? And again, I, some of these articles I'm a bit more critical with, because statistically, they're not significant. You know, doing this study on 30, 40 people, that's actually not significant. Because if you look at it, uh, statistical data, actually you need to be in the 100,000s to actually get a proper sample size of that kind of level of treatment so while we're talking about journals and stuff going oh yes you know there's this journal and that journal has said this well actually you've got a very small sample size so many other variables that they've not even talked about like the ethnicity like the genetics around it um and again mixed race as well that's going to change your genetics even more. we're not even talking about that side of things because how does that react um so i think that is really important to actually start to pick up in journals and even actually having better case studies so while it might not seem relevant actually having better case studies on these patients is actually has a huge impact because you can actually do much more reflective learning about it and what taking it forward what you can do to help those patients particularly like the keloid scar is a big one in my pain management um clinic i see a lot of that um and there's lots we can do around it um and actually helping that joint move and get better Get, just get better outcomes in the range of motion you're getting with it. But it's not talked about. So, yeah, I keep raising awareness. And it's we do, we do need a much more 
embrace of approach and not just, oh yes, we see patients and then just stick the picture of, yes, a, a person of a certain colour, that's what you see. It's not like that. You really need to get to know the skin and how it changes and what's going on with it. And the being able to understand the different colour hues and actually, so what might be red for one person actually more purplish blues on another skin tone. The, the irony in all of this is we keep talking about personalised care. We're obviously not delivering personalised care. It's part of the NHS plan, yeah. it's the buzzwords, I think, like, but we've never really been doing it. Yeah. My personal opinion is I think we've become less personalised than ever before because everything's becoming processed and no one's actually taken into all the clinical um, details that you need to listen to and look at. Um, you know, we hear, we hear quite constantly um, you go into the GP, it's one person, one problem. Well, actually, I've never met a condition where it's one symptom. It's when you've put X, Y, and Z together, then you get the full picture, and then you can say, oh, it's this condition. It's So it's really difficult for me to... And I was trained, you know, where... When I was trained, you had to know what the root cause of the problem was. It was never just accepted, oh, well, it's just this, put this on. Why? Why has it happened? And I suppose that has always follow through in my work and that is very much my ethos is why is this happening to you um and it's allowed me to do what I do um but yeah it's personalized care it, you need to listen to the patient and actually the patient matters and what what matters to the patient might not necessarily be what you're thinking is the important thing such as if you can't put your shoes on and take your kids to for a school run or go and do the washing up or stand and see your friends or go out for dinner what's the point of going through the treatment because you've not got much of a life from it and you're in pain, you, you know, there's a quality of life. And again, I think what, instead of personalised care, I think what needs to be is, can you improve that patient's quality of life? Really, really good points, I think. I think quality of life is something we've heard on the podcast or through engagement on mm -hmm. social media. Lots of patients will be told, well, you know, the cancer's gone or, well, you're alive, you know, just deal with it yourself. But Quality of life is something yeah. I think we don't really consider necessarily, not all the time, we, I think we try to, yeah. but it's all the different elements exactly as you said, like all the different filters for someone's life, it's not just having treatment and going home. Yeah. And also some of these, you know, cancer is also, it affects anyone at any age. You know, whether you're, you're a grandparent or, you know, elderly seeing, you know, your, your kids or your grandkids growing up to... So I've had patients who, when they were a teenager, had sarcomas on their legs and now still have, and now having these complex pain issues on the hip and the knee and the foot and the neck. And it's because no one's actually looked at, when you had that sarcoma, what was the scar contracture going on? How was that joint moving? Or you've not got that joint there anymore, right? You've got a replacement joint. That has a knock-on impact on your quality of life, you know. And we know, like, you know, if someone's had a hip operation or a knee operation, it's like, you know, oh, well, 10 years' time, you know, might need it changed, or 15 years. Well, if you've had that at 15, that's a huge impact, isn't it, on your, your development and further on later on as you grow older. So, Afni, we're coming towards the end, but I wanted to ask you before we finish, what's next for you? So you've been working clinically for a little bit? Yeah, well... As anyone knows me, I love my job. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is the bit that drives me is, I don't want any patient to suffer. So I will always try and help anyone, or even if they do come and ask me for advice, you know, I will try my hardest. Um, so yeah, clinically, ideally what my 
areas actually just getting more promotion and actually have good edu like promote get a good educational module together would be fantastic um for you know this area of cancer this acute area of cancer um i think is really important and again trying to raise as much awareness about it really so passing on if you see someone who's got these conditions even if you don't know just send them like information you know on it is the way forward and also i know it sounds awful but for clinicians is campaigning to the university that actually these things do matter um and also try and raise clinical funding but again because i'm private practice it's so much harder for us to get any kind of recognition or funding um on any of these conditions so even when I wrote my my articles that was a huge sacrifice I had to make just to get there and do, get that out there so yeah I think initially it's clinically but I do my future plan is as I get older I don't want this knowledge to be wasted and I want it to be passed on and change and actually make proper change rather than just talk about like you were saying Nana, in the NHS the buzzword terms but we still don't get any lower limb assessments done they get an upper limb assessment when they have in their pre-cab stage, but there is no lower limb assessment done, or even what criteria or what potential issues could happen in the lower limb. I don't think there's literature around it, what the impact it can have on you. Well, hopefully that will be something for some of our listeners to take away and yeah. look into. Um, so, Afni, do you have any top tips for patients, students, professionals listening? Um, so, for patients, see a podiatrist. Just start your journey see a podiatrist it doesn't matter if they don't have the cancer specialist as long as they've got a decent understanding ring them ask them questions you know what they do you'll get a good idea of whether that that practitioner is the right practitioner for you. and also not everyone um find a practitioner that works for you does that make sense that it's more of a teamworkish thing not just if it's not working find someone where it can work with better so that's for patients um making sure their nutrition's and in terms of nutrition, I know we, we've talked about making sure that they're already starting to get as much as healthy as possible because even when you're going through particular cycles, you're not going to feel well, you're not going to want to eat in the same way. So getting that kind of stored up kind of better level of nutrition is good. Um, in terms of clinicians, um, I think my thing is find your passion and go with it, really. Just find it and... It doesn't matter that you feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall. It will eventually. I mean, I've been doing this 18 years and advocating it, you know, and now it's finally coming to the forefront. Just keep, if you're passionate about it, it will happen. And it's okay for clinicians to say, I don't know. I think that's really important that we as clinicians say, I don't know. That looks really interesting, but I don't know. I can try and find out about it, but I don't know. You might need to see so-and-so. And also doing that referral and knowing what's available in terms of who you can refer to not just in the NHS but also privately because you shouldn't be choosing what the patient's entitled to they have that choice of what they want to use and what services they want to go for perfect thank you so much and I think from anyone listening thank you for all your hard work advocating for this it's been great to have got thank to know you. you and sounds like Joe's already got some emails primed to send to you to try and collaborate <laughs> yeah. I am absolutely thank you I'm trying to think of how you can link in <laughs> no I'm really glad that you guys understand and like really happy to like raise this as because we've been talking about it for a while now and haven't we that 
this is an area that affects not just one area of a particular cancer condition, it's across the whole board. Um, and even while you think it's only small pockets in each individual cancer, actually together it's a much bigger impact than it is for other people. Exactly. So yeah, well thank you everyone for listening to Rad Chat. So your hosts today have been Norman Chalkanderson and Joe McNamara. If you're utilising the podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Um, so thank you very much for listening and make sure you check out all of our wonderful content over social media. Thank you.